0: Hello, welcome to Out of Curiosity, our podcast where we're seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. I'm Garland. And I'm Nick. And today, we are talking about maybe the question we get the most uh, asked to us. It's a question I get asked not only at the church. I get asked this in coffee shops. I get asked this by friends. Uh, It's a very important kind of hot-button issue in our culture at large right now, and uh, specifically when it comes to Christians in the church. And that is the question of women in leadership in the church and in the home. And we're going to try to address this uh, in several episodes as we go forward. This is, a very, this is a very sensitive topic. This is a very important topic that governs uh, not just churches but families, and, uh, and we want to address it with as much sensitivity as possible. And so, Nick, just to kind of get this framed for us, uh, help us understand the language in the conversation. Set this up for us, and uh, and we'll move forward.
1: Yeah. So, when you're talking about the different views here, you'll see a lot of language out there. But the two primary views that you're going to see talked about within evangelical Christianity are egalitarianism and complementarianism. Always a big word. Always a big yeah. word. Yep. Yeah. So, egalitarianism refers to the view that there is no distinction between men and women. In what where what areas they can lead, and so uh, every leadership role, every spiritual gift, every uh, function in the church is equally open to men and women, no distinction. So that would be the egalitarian view. The complementarian view uh, defends equal value, equal uh, image bearing of God, but argues that there are certain leadership roles, and they disagree on what those roles are, but that the Bible does set aside certain roles. For men to occupy in leadership. So those are the two basic views we're deal we're gonna be dealing with: are egalitarianism and complementarianism. And just to be just to be clear. The second view that you're talking about, the
0: complementarian view, does not see a distinction about men and women in their equality as
1: persons. Not or anything. at all. Okay. Okay. No.
0: That, that's a helpful distinction, yep. which we'll come back to in a yes. minute. Um, so with that as a basic framing of some of the language, uh, help us see where we can make some missteps, where we can yep. get off in our thinking on this. and This might help as we go into subsequent episodes of Out of Curiosity to frame this question.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important to recognize when we talk about it, first of all, what level this question is in our understanding of Christian orthodoxy. So when we look to the creeds, to the ancient documents um, that explain how the church understood its beliefs, this issue is not inscribed in any of our creeds. Uh, This is not um, foundational to what it is to be a Christian, your understanding of men and women in leadership. So I think, so the first thing I think we have to say is that you can be a jesus-loving bible-believing christian and hold to either of these two views and so i think we need to be able to have fellowship with each other to be able to unite around the mission of the gospel and disagree on this issue and so i think the first misstep i think most people that hold either of these views are really trying to be faithful to scripture right they're really trying to follow the lord and so i think our first misstep is when we over demonize the other view yeah, it's just, that's, that's really good. I, I had met with a student, this was a couple of years ago,
0: and uh, we sat down and he asked me, he was asking about a different church here in our town that had uh, a female as the pastor, and mm-hmm. he was asking what I thought. We were talking about some of this stuff, and uh, he said, would you even consider them Christian anymore? Would you do ministry with them? Oh, yeah. And he was surprised when I basically said what you just said, that we're not talking about a matter of orthodoxy. This is not a matter yeah. of what separates a Christian or not a Christian. And he he needed that clarification. Yes. And so that that's helpful. So... Okay.
1: And it doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It's an important issue. We've got to talk about it. We need to, to try to be faithful to scripture. And I think we also can recognize people are trying to be faithful to scripture um, in how they do and how they approach this. So I think that's a starting point. Um, another way that we go wrong is in whatever understanding we have two sets of texts in the New Testament on this. We have a whole lot of texts that show women doing some of the highest levels of leadership and having huge influence in the church, um, important co-laborers with the apostles. Um, They're celebrated for every spiritual gift. And so we also have another set of texts that very clearly seem to restrict women in leadership that seem to say women should not do this thing. So that creates a tension. And and so we need to figure out how to wrestle with that tension. How do we honor both texts without erasing one or the other? And so when we're trying to walk in that tension, there's some pretty big mistakes that we've made that I think we should all be able to agree are mistakes, Um, whichever side of this debate you land on. One of them uh, that we make a big mistake is when we argue that the restrictions placed on women in the New Testament are because they are inherently less competent. Um, That has been argued, unfortunately, um, that maybe women just don't have those spiritual gifts or women aren't able to teach, they aren't able to lead. For some reason, God has, they are not constitutionally able to do those tasks. Um, That is wrong biblically, um, that we see that gifts are given equally to all genders. um, and, And that starts all the way back when the Holy Spirit is first poured out, sons and daughters. Equal distribution of the spirit, equal distribution of the gifts. So the idea that this would have to do with men being gifted in a different way than women uh, is just a false step, um, and so that that's that's not right, um, and that's not what the biblical text is arguing. And you would say that. I mean,
0: evidence of that is there are women who are phenomenal at things that when people that say this thing like teaching, there are some women that are phenomenal, phenomenal teachers, teachers, and teachers, phenomenal leaders, and gifted. And so to to squash that with some sort of uh, I misstep in our in our mindset on this would be would be really hurtful, really
1: hurtful. And so, biblically, it's wrong. Empirically, it's wrong. So Fleming Rutledge, um, a, a female leader, wrote one of the best books on the crucifixion that's been written in the last hundred years. And I have learned immensely from her teaching. Uh, Karen Jobes, a professor at Wheaton, is one of the best New Testament scholars out today. When when I studied First Peter, her commentary on First Peter was is just phenomenal and so helpful. So empirically, it's just Obviously wrong. And it's not biblically uh, accurate at all to say that competency or they're, that they're going to be more easily deceived and that kind of thing. Um, that's, that's not what's going on. The second big misstep uh, that we make is to say that women, in some way, are image bearers less than men. But somehow, men more fully are image bearers before God. And the Hebrew text in Genesis is just crystal clear in trying to say uh, God made humans in his image, male and female. And so the text is really clearly saying both are image bearers. He did not make Adam in his image. And then Eve is some kind of secondary uh, uh, human. And even the text in the New Testament that says that man is the image and glory of God, it then says that woman is the glory of man. It does not repeat the word image so that we do not make the mistake in thinking that a woman is somehow made in man's image and man is made in God's image. It is very clear that as far as what it is to be human, both men and women are fully image bearers of God, no distinction. One is not more the image bearer than the other. Actually, that complement of male and female is part of the image of God. When We
0: talked about this. I know we shared this story before, but one of my seminary professors had a woman come up to her in the class while she was making this exact point you're making in tears Mm. sobbing and crying saying i never knew that i thought i was not made in god's image but only men were and she was she she felt the freedom of actually understanding what the bible said for the very first time as an adult and the professor was remarking on this years later
1: saying what a tragedy that was yes it doesn't feel like we should have to say this but because it's been taught wrongly we have to clarify people have heard that and that's a tragedy and that that needs to be corrected um, and addressed another way that we go wrong is when we um try to apply any of the restrictions given to women and leadership in the church in the text um outside of the church so say well therefore women shouldn't lead in the marketplace uh, women shouldn't lead in politics um, that's just an absolute misstep whatever we decide the text is saying it is speaking to churches. It is speaking to Christians in their context. Um, and in the first century world, women were leading in all kinds of ways in the secular marketplace, and that is that is celebrated in many places. And so that's just not what's being addressed. Um, another way that we really go wrong, um, especially if you do land on a complementarian view, where you do believe that there are certain roles just just set aside for men, we make a mistake when, therefore, women are not given a voice. And so, what can happen really quickly in church leadership is you set aside a certain role for men, and then those men do not listen to women well in big decision-making moments. And so, you have moments that are all men making decisions for the whole church without giving a voice to women um, in what's going in what's going on. And so, uh, we need to hear the voice of women. Regularly in the church and in church leadership situations. Well, it has to be
0: noted that in the New Testament, when we see and look at the early churches, women have a, a, immense voice. That's, oh, yeah, was was taking place in these churches, and so Paul couldn't do his ministry without the voice of women in many of the cities we see in the New Testament. And so to disregard
1: them and not really listen that's just a that's just a, a, a very crucial mistake. And and I mean the first century was way less progressive on women's voices than today so to see the voice that they had in the first century should show you how important their leadership was in the early church they're significant co-laborers you have big moments where paul's making ministry plans and there are women prophesying and giving input into to what's going to happen next Um, the next one though on, on another extreme and this would be maybe a caution to people that lean more the egalitarian camp would be to deny gender distinctions at all. And so to think that, um, that in order for men and women to be equal, that means there has to be zero distinction between men and women and, and to deny the fact that God made us male and female. And that that is actually part of God's design uh, as image bears, that there is a distinction and a complement. The final, the final thing that I think maybe is the most crucial before we dive into the, the particulars of how this works. That if we, this is such a paradigm shift for us and how we think about this issue that the New Testament really puts forward. And it has to do with how we think of the concept of authority. Uh, authority means to have the position or the power to direct others' decisions. It's this idea that you speak and others are required in some way because of your power to listen to your voice and to follow it. Now, there's a, there's a word in the Greek that is consistently the word for authority or power. It's exousia. And so, because I'm just, again, we've commented on my nerdiness a lot. Because I'm a nerd, I, I went through all 101 uses of this word in the New Testament and cataloged them all. And I was really surprised by what I found. Um, of the 101 uses, there are only two times that it refers to a Christian having any kind of authority over another Christian. So 101 uses, only two refer to Christians having authority. So 59 of the uses refer, I'm sorry, 34 of the uses refer to God and his authority, Jesus' authority or the Father's authority. 25 refer to angelic authority. So that gives you 59 total refer to spiritual beings. Um, There's 17 that refer to secular human authority. So there's governments and how they work with authority. Um, We're told about, authority over our own self, have self-control, have authority over your body. Um, we're told about believers being given authority over demons um, and that are spiritual privileges, such as and one example would be that an apostle has the authority to take a wife with him when he travels. So that's not really the authority over another person. It's the right to be able to take someone along. So the only two examples that we have of any Christian being given authority over another— Both come from 2 Corinthians, when Paul refers to his apostolic authority over the Corinthian church. And interestingly, what he says he has authority to do is to build them up. That's the power, the authority that's been given to Paul is to build them up in their faith. So what does all of this mean? The verb verb also gets used to have authority. It's only used four times, and it is used two of those four have to do with men and women. It's in 1 Corinthians, and what it says about their authority is it says, Husbands, you do not have authority over your own body. Wives, you do not have authority over your own body. That'd be 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7. And so the idea that seems to happen over and over again um, in Peter, the, the leaders, elders are told not to lord their power over the flock like secular leaders do. I think one of the reasons, and I know it might feel like I'm harping on this really hard, but I think it's crucial before we have this conversation to understand that leadership in the church is not the same thing as authority and power. That is a a secular way of thinking that says, because I have this role, I now have power over you. If that were the case, if that's what we're talking about, then that is immediately threatening to anyone who does not have power. When you start going into that power dynamic and struggle, then the people who have leadership have the power over everyone who does not. And that's going to set up a really dangerous, vulnerable situation. And so you end up with power struggles both directions, between men and women. And when leadership is set up in the church, leaders are told, this isn't about power. This isn't about authority. Leadership in the church is about being a servant. It is about actually lowering yourself, lowering your posture to serve others. Inherently, if we are doing leadership the way that Christ modeled it, there is nothing threatening about leadership. There is only humility and service so that leadership becomes a responsibility to serve rather than an authoritative power to wield. And if we don't have that in place before we start talking about men and women and leadership, it is going to be inherently threatening, and it is going to be inherently problematic, anything we talk about, and there's going to be a reason to fight for leadership, for fear that you'll be taken advantage of. Yeah,
0: we might just say what the New Testament is is understanding when we talk about the church is a radical new community that is based on love and service and humility that looks Nothing like all the power displays and all the yes. power grabs of every other community that we see in human existence. The church is these called out people to look like Jesus with each other and in their world. And it was supposed to radically look different than the culture. And that's a helpful place for us to
1: start. Yep. So what we're going to do from here is we're going to go on and we're going to take a look in more detail. What do the texts say? Um, in a later podcast about these roles in the church. We're going to look at what do the texts say um, in regard to marriage, and then we're also going to look at how do we navigate this culturally, and we're going to be honoring what we've said and bringing uh, some women in to have their voice in this discussion. So uh, I look forward to it. Hopefully, um, that brought a little bit of clarity to the conversation going forward.
0: Yeah, thanks, Nick. That's really helpful. That sets us up, and uh, that's really good, uh, just really good stuff for us to be thinking about. And so uh, thanks for listening, and thanks for helping us, Nick. Thanks for listening Out of Curiosity. Thanks for listening to Out of Curiosity as we discuss what has the church gotten wrong about women in leadership. For further study, check out Genesis chapters 2 and 3, Galatians 3, 27 to 29, and 1 Timothy 2:9 to 313. We also recommend reading Jesus, Justice and Gender Roles by Kathy Keller, in two views on women in ministry, edited by Gundry and Beck. If you want to send in a question or contact us, go to OOCuriosity.com and follow us on Instagram at OOCuriosity. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes.